This episode is brought to you by the Hammerhead Karoo 2. The Hammerhead Karoo 2 is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. Keep listening to the episode to find out how you can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor. Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, the weekly podcast where a panel of scientists, pro cyclists, and cutting-edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance, and science, and all things cycling. The show is co-hosted by Dr. Jason Boynton, who's a sports scientist and cycling coach, Cyrus Monk, who is a professional cyclist and cycling coach, and then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. The Cycling Performance Club podcast is normally recorded in the presence of a live audience, but this time... We are trying out a new platform, Riverside, so you'll have to follow us on social media to see how to get involved. But if you do get involved, you'll be able to join in and ask questions or just participate in the discussion. This week, we are going to cover blood lactate testing. And Jason is all over this one, so I am going to hand it to him. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, Yeah, but there was a funny story. Uh, So Cyrus and I found out that we actually raced against each other at one time. (laughs) Um, So that was... I don't know. I thought, I thought that was hilarious. And the reason I found out about this is because I went to your Wikipedia page, Cyrus, and then I saw that you were the uh, university world champion. That's correct. I was like, I know that guy. I raced against him. So it was really funny that, that like, you know, this was back in 2016 when they had the uni games in Perth. Okay, I'm, I'm a PhD student, so I can qualify for this. And then you must have been here to to show the the rainbow jersey off yeah. <laughs> and um i never made it to the crit because the weather was so bad but we did the road race together and um yeah it was funny we went we would have gone one two if it wasn't for the three-man break up the road yeah <laughs> yeah uh jason ended up fourth and i ended up fifth in that one so that's ruining my credibility as the pro cyclist on this panel so that and the vo2 max difference too don't forget that <laughs> gotta get that in yeah. there so either i'm gonna have to go to perth and um tell jason up in some local races there or i'm gonna have to go get a phd and or a couple of phds <laughs> and just out publish yeah. me yeah that'd be wouldn't be too hard so <laughs> If you come to Perth, you'll school me on the hills for sure. I'm I'm ready to be taken care of like an but, old man. But sorry, you've got plenty of years to one up him though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I might just yeah. Well, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure having a pro uh, contract is already one upping. Well, so. I'm just gonna hope he doesn't just go into the masters racing, or I'll never be able to get him back. Oh, that's basically all I do. <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yes. Yeah, so the topic for today is blood lactate testing, but more specifically, not a how-to, because there's lots of how-tos on this, and there's lots of information about it. And we're better than that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But what we we do is what we try to offer here is content that other places aren't giving you. So what we're going to do with the blood lactate testing thing when it comes to cyclists is to ask the question, should we actually be blood lactate testing cyclists? And so there's a little bit of background on this is um, my first kind of consulting gig I ever had was coming out of my master's uh, in, in exercise phys and I had a cycling gym approach me. It was actually my coach's <laughs> cycling gym and they, they wanted to do 
blood lactate testing at the gym. And I came in and I kind of consulted them how to, to do it. And, and then the more I thought about the whole thing, the whole practice of blood lactate testing cyclists, the more I started to question the practice. Um, so that's what I want to get into today is um, just kind of being skeptical here as we often do a lot of times. Um, but one of the thing that kind of that off the bat, that's kind of been might be kind of a red flag for people is that, you know, you often find the people who are promoting this type of testing are also selling the service to people. So it's always kind of like, well, if you're selling the service, then you are, definitely motivated to, to and there's a conflict of interest going on there. Which I want to jump in here for a second and say that I really don't know anybody that actually does this service. Mm-hmm. So okay. I don't know what, what my world just looks totally different for some reason. And maybe it's because I'm never kind of in a cycling community of any sorts, just, mm-hmm. just the way my life is set up. I don't know and of these people that are offering these services. And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't offer it. I've never really thought mm-hmm. about it. That's why the deep mm-hmm. dive I'm going to enjoy. But that's a comment for me overall that maybe, I don't know, you started sort of in this in the coaching world, what, mid-2000s or something? Yeah. Where was, there might have yeah. been a hangover or from the 90s. and the 2000s, yeah. Yeah, so 90s yeah. And, and, and 2000s where lactate testing was probably the thing. And then mm-hmm. that dies down and then power comes in. Mm-hmm. And it seems when I came in, to coaching and coming back to cycling end of 2000s, early 2010s, power was just the thing. Mm-hmm. And lactate sort of took a back step, except for institutions and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, that's kind yeah. of interesting. Well, what, what, what do you, what's your experience with it, Cyrus? Yeah, it's, it hasn't been that, that big. I think probably more experience at, university than in an actual mm-hmm. practical sense once I've mm-hmm. been cycling at a high level myself. Uh, that's pr- possibly just because the the work I was doing in my final year of my undergrad was a lot to do with lactate testing. Like we were, we were investigating beta alanine. So obviously that is designed to, well, the idea of supplementing with beta alanine is to have an effect on blood lactate. And that was a project for, a lot of my final year. So I spent a lot of time working with it. But since I've sort of left university, I haven't, I don't think I've actually been subject to a blood lactate test myself. And mm-hmm. yeah, speaking to other pros, it's not something that they'll get done very often. I know a lot of World Tour teams will do it at their preseason camp and then mm-hmm. not again throughout the season uh, often unless mm-hmm. they're there might be a special circumstance but something in that instant tells you that it's likely not prioritized as a as a measure mm-hmm. for them or they would be repeating it because they'd want to see how it's reacting throughout the season but i know mm-hmm. it is it's definitely still there and i do see it popping up but mm-hmm. yeah as damien said compared to power now and some other newer metrics coming in it's it's not it's mm-hmm. it's not the most fashionable thing currently Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what this might end up being is just kind of a nail in the coffin. 
if it's just kind of being phased out by itself. Well, don't, um, don't jump to conclusions too quickly. I feel like there's a resurgence coming. Okay. Well, I know you pointed out that tweet from... Steven Seiler. Seiler. Showing Steven people how Seiler. to do it for themselves in their own pain cave or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Showing people how mm-hmm. to do it. I, I yep. feel like there may be a resurgence and maybe this is people just digging into the science a bit more and seeing it done mm-hmm. in a lot of papers and things. I still get the Instagram ads. That's just how I judge how popular a fat is, how many Instagram ads I get. But the issue there is <laughs> the issue there is I do a, a podcast research on Lactigo and I'm looking up all of this stuff and then all of a sudden Instagram goes, hang on a sec, <laughs> this guy wants to know about lactate. So then You're they done. Yeah. So then they just start <laughs> pumping me with ads for how to do these things. But yeah, like Speaking of which, we have a part two coming on that Lactigo, hopefully. Yeah. We got we haven't told the listeners that. Yeah. So there's more that needs to be told about that story. And we're just kind of sitting in the weeds and hoping, hopefully that comes to fruition because we're working on some stuff there. So that's a little uh, preface of where we're going with that because that ended up being opening a can of worms, yep. which could be really interesting. We're just kind of waiting on some, some fellow listeners uh, to come back with some stuff on that. So um one thing that we didn't mention about like where it is, where this is prevalent is where I have seen it is it's usually associated with brick and mortar coaches. So if you are a coach that became successful enough to where you could open up a um, facility uh, or have some a place where you could coach your athletes from, well, you have to make up for the cost of that yeah. somehow. So that means that you can do testing there. and. If we're going to look at endurance athletes, then one of the things that's just kind of kind of come with that is blood lactate testing because it's a test of threshold. And yes, with power out there, now you're going to have to convince people to do that test because it is expensive. It's not a cheap thing. Um, it's not the most expensive test to do with athletes, I would say, but it's not cheap. And so you have to make the cost back on it. And then it also gets into having to justify the brick and mortar space for your coaching through and that's usually a lot of times it's either done with sessions or with testing cyclists um i guess there would be other things like maybe strength training or something like that within the and justify a um a testing fee as well most coaches will have a a startup Mm -hmm. fee or a testing fee which is Mm -hmm. yeah especially if it's in-house testing so rather than a, a step test that now is so easily accessible on Zwift at home, like you can basically just plug in and go with your free trial and you've done a, a ramp or a step test right there and then. So for coaches to justify a fee, I think they'll try and get as many metrics analyzed and collect data collected as possible. So I think that's the point of this is we're actually going to, Jason's going to assess whether it's actually worthwhile for the athlete and the coach to be even doing the blood lactate side of the testing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not an exhaustive analysis. There might be some purposes for blood lactate testing cyclists that might come up that we didn't think about. Um, But I think the number of these things that are going to be in this conversation are going to be important to consider. So um, the first thing, just to kind of break things up here and make it kind of interesting and engaging for our listeners is I have come up with a true or false quiz about blood lactate. And uh, my co-host can play along 
as well, but I won't put you guys on the spot. But uh, I think, Damien, are you going to cue some music up for this, some cheesy music, so that we can... <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll, uh, we have uh, seven questions here for the listeners. And if you want to grab a piece of paper or just kind of keep um, a hold of it, the answers in your head, these will all be true or false. Question one is lactate is a product of oxygen limited metabolism. My question again, or that statement again is lactate is a product of oxygen limited metabolism. True or false? Question two. Blood lactate concentrations can be used to approximate the aerobic and anaerobic thresholds. Oh no, did we run out of music? Sorry, I killed the music. <laughs> it's too distracting. <laughs> All right, that's okay. All right, question three. Lactate is a waste product of the cell produced during exercise. True or false? Question four, lactic acid causes delayed onset muscle soreness. True or false? Question five, lactate is produced in the cytoplasm of the cell. And the cytoplasm is just kind of the, where, what holds all of the organelles of the cell. It's just kind of that open liquidy space of the cell. <laughs> That's the fancy name for that. And um, question six, true or false? The accumulation of lactate causes fatigue during exercise. And our last true or false question for this session is, one of the benefits of easy rides is that they clear lactate from the muscles and blood. All right. So back, to, well, let's get into the answers here. So the first question, lactate is a product of oxygen-limited metabolism. And you guys have, want to take a stab on that? You don't have I'm, to. Say yes or no. I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put my uh, degree on the line here for, for all of these and prepare to be wrong, but I would say my <laughs> answer is true. It's good. True okay. for the first one. Okay. No, it's false. Right. That's <laughs> false. But that, to be fair, that is a more of a cell cellular question and a bio biochem question yep. um, than an actual systemic physiology kind of question. So um, it's just kind of one of those things where the systems are always running in the background. So lactate can be produced in the presence of oxygen. It's a product of glycolysis, which is the breakdown of glucose in the cell. Glycolysis does not require oxygen to occur, but this does not mean it doesn't occur in the presence of oxygen. So it's a little bit of a, it is an anaerobic metabolism, but it can occur in oxygen. Um, and this can you see, because if you're going to, if I was going to do a blood lactate test on you right now, I would see a blood lactate. So where is that coming from? Yeah. There's probably oxygen present. You know, um, so anyways, question two, blood lactate concentrations can be used to approximate the aerobic and anaerobic thresholds. True. True or false? True. True. I will say yes. I was said true at first 
And then I make sure I backed up myself a little bit and I said, debatable. So <laughs> it's hard yeah, to put a binary there's, there's on there's that. There's a few here that are a bit gray as far as I'm Yeah, yeah. So it just speaks to how physiology works. There's yeah. a, lot, that's a lot of gray to it. Um, and it gets into the, the whole idea of anaerobic threshold. And that's actually pretty, that's disputed now. That, that doesn't seem to be an appropriate name for that threshold that is between a heavy exercise domain and the severe exercise domain. So there's a little bit of trickery on the words. And so it's kind of based on this flawed uh, physiological hypothesis. And yeah, I mean, there's other things that measure it as well. But um, but I would say for the most part, if we're going to just get, stick with the layman's terms, yeah, it's true. It's the third one. Lactate is a waste product of the cell produced during exercise. True or false? I say false. false. Uh, yes. You are correct. It is false. So, no, it is uh, now known that lactate is a fuel. It is a fuel in an intracellular sense. So, it's a fuel within the cell. Um, it gets uh, shuttled from where the uh, glycolysis is happening in the, cyto in the cytoplasm into the mitochondria. That's actually a pretty new finding. It can be an intercellular uh, fuel, which uh, shuttled from one cell to another and it's also a precursor for gluconeogenesis so it would be weird to consider something as a fuel as a waste that's kind of not what fuel is at all right it's kind of the opposite of waste um as question four lactic acid causes delayed onset muscle soreness no false uh, yes gave me the guys the answer but like most people uh but uh one of the things in here is lactic acid versus lactate those are not exactly the same things and people use them interchangeably which i know i've probably done in the past at some point um but lactic acid isn't really doesn't really exist per se really it's hard to say it exists mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it was the lactate is an anion and the h plus ions lactic acid Yep, requires hydrogen and they're going to disassociate. So the lactate is the thing that we're generally measuring, not lactic acid. Just one quick quick one while it's on my mind as well. You, you yep. can't lactate. It's not a verb to lactate during exercise. Just like yeah. the, <laughs> if you have someone, a guy finish your race and say, man, I was lactating so hard at this point during the race. <laughs> <laughs> to, to lactate is produce, yeah. to produce milk. From the, yes. from the nipples, so um, there's not too many. Uh, hopefully, there's not too many male athletes during doing that during what, intense exercise. <laughs> oh my gosh, was he lactating during his leg opener exercises? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lactating. Uh, Just anyways, be careful um, using that one, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, lactate is readily metabolized and does not hang out in the muscle, causing damage. And then the other thing is. How could it? It's just an anion. It's not like a free radical or something crazy like that. Or it's not like you unleashed a cat in there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so number five, lactate is produced in the cytoplasm of the cell. True or false? Uh, I'm no going to say false. That's true. That's where it's produced. That's the, that's again, a cellular bio question. Uh, number six, the accumulation of lactate causes fatigue during exercise. 
I'm going to say false with an asterisk. asterisk. Yes, it is false. Fatigue during exercise is complex and multifactorial. So this means it's going to be hard to just point out one thing and say that's the cause. It depends which scientist you talk to. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, I I was I liken lactate more to smoke at the fire than than the fire. If that makes any sense. Yes. Um and an interesting fact that's kind of exhibiting this relationship where uh blood lactate concentrations are actually lower in time trials that are performed in heat. So in train uh doing a time trial in heat you would expect you, power goes down for sure. And if you would think, well, you'd think, well, okay, well, if the power's down and there's more fatigue, then that means, and if it's caused, this fatigue is caused by a lactate, then you would expect that in the heat, lactate uh, concentrations in the blood would increase, but that's not true. So there's something, there's other pathways to reach fatigue, even if lactate was a cause of fatigue. Um, so, and number seven, uh, one of the benefits of easy rides is that they clear a lactate from the muscles and blood. True or false? False. Yes. Lactate clears from the blood very quickly. And I actually have data from, uh, from one of my studies showing this. So 24 hours after a hard ride, blood lactate levels are returned to baseline by a long shot. We did go right into this on the, was it the warm-ups episode or I think we did, oh no, we did a a mini topic on active recovery, I think, as well, if you uh, want to revisit that for clearance of blood lactate. Yeah, yeah. Um, So those those are the test quizzes or the test uh, quizzes (laughs) that quiz questions and thanks for guys for playing along hopefully that would five out of seven i missed out on my distinction gonna have to go back to school yeah and what why i started with that is because lactate has a very unique thing going on in our culture like everyone seems to say things like oh i was riding really hard and my muscles got sore and it's because the blood lactate's building up and so basically when people think about exercise physiology and think about blood lactate and then they have all of these preconceived notions of blood lactate and what it does and most of that is untrue and i totally guilty of this as well i I came out of a cell bio background and i went into my exercise phys course and i said something along the lines like yeah blood lactate causes muscle soreness during acute exercise and Cyrus, you would know enough coming out of your undergrad that that's not the case. But me, with the cell bio background, and I, I knew all of the bits and pieces and the enzymes of everything from glycolysis all the way to the end of the Krebs cycle and the electron transfer chain. I had that, all that memorized. But when it came to what it, what, what it did in, in the system, uh, we, we never really covered that in just plain cell biology. So, yeah, it... it that history of it. I mean, the history of blood lactate is, you know, it was discovered um, in sour milk in 1780. So that's a lot, that's hundreds of years we've known about this molecule. And one of the reasons that it was 
kind of a focus of early exercise scientists is that we could actually measure it. We could actually analyze it as opposed to there's a lot of other things that became a while before we could analyze it. So it's kind of one of these things like, well, how important is it because of what it does or just because it's been around for a long time and it's just historically ingrained in the culture at this point. That milk fact, that explains the the name as well. I always wondered why it you mm-hmm. had the milky name for something that has nothing to do with milk in in theory, but now I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more prevalent in like when you talk about fermentation and that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And that might also get into why it's considered anaerobic and things because um, fermentation. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so the, one of the first things they noticed was exercise intensity goes up and lactate concentrations in the blood go up. So automatically, because of that association, there's all of these other things that have been associated, maybe unfairly or incorrectly, with blood lactate and increases in intensity. So this is where you would get the muscle soreness. This is where you get the delayed onset muscle soreness type things uh, and all the other things that people, you know, thinking it's a poison or toxic or causes fatigue, these are easy to think that association would be there if early on in the whole research we saw that it increased with exercise intensity. Um, another thing that was kind of has pushed this in the, the mainstream culture is the Nobel Prize winning research that was done by uh, A.V. Hill and Otto Meyerhoff. Uh, and they provided a rationale or an explanation linking lactate to anaerobic metabolism and acidosis. And so this also probably related to that being accepted as fact. I mean, once you get associated with a Nobel Prize, then it's going to be pretty ingrained in the culture as well. However, subsequent research using new methods have debunked a lot of these thoughts uh, that we have previously thought about lactate, but are still going to be, these debunked things are still going to be around in the mainstream culture. So the reason why I bring this up is because already we're starting from a place where blood lactate has probably had more importance put onto it in the cycling world than it maybe deserves, right? So um, because most cyclists aren't exercise physiologists, but at the same time, they're going to want to understand exercise. So a lot of their interpretation of exercises might be coming from you know less scientific sources or you you think about like my undergrad versus your undergrad cyrus they're very close but you could see how you could see just in this exercise how out of my undergrad it was would totally misunderstood things about exercise biz and out of yours you would have totally misunderstood things out of cell bio so even scientists are going to get this wrong i was also going to say for this topic in particular i think i was late enough that even when i was studying blood lactate in school like from my pe teacher and they're obviously generally physical education teachers at a secondary college aren't the ones that have got Uh, masters in biochemistry or anything like that but even then he was telling us okay be careful lactate's probably not the evil guy that everyone makes it out to be and then definitely Mm -hmm. as soon as I got to university it was straight away okay don't be scared of lactate that's that's not what's making your muscles sore so I think I was sort of late enough to the party 
that everyone had already gone off lactate as the the main causer of fatigue during acute exercise. So I think that's also part of it is that perhaps, yeah, 15, 20 years ago, the, it was more, okay, this is what we think's doing the damage. Whereas even when I came into it, the the sort of widely held knowledge was that it wasn't the, the evil guy. Yeah. And the, I think the asterisk there is that you came out of an Australian PE system yeah, and yeah. there's a much more sports science culture yeah. everywhere here. So I kind of wonder if that would be the case back home as prevalent. Yeah. Interesting though, yeah. or back home for me in the U S yeah. so it could be, it's been a long time since I've had PE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so just a little bit on the biochemistry of, of this, it's uh, lactate is a product of glycolysis and glycolysis and as an anaerobic breaking down of glucose molecules and that happens without oxygen and it happens like i said it happens inside of the cell it happens very quickly and uh, it used to be thought that you know the the end product of uh, glycolysis was pyruvate and the pyruvate went into the krebs cycle and then you know that whole chain occurred but I guess we have some good evidence now that this lactate, that is actually what is used as fuel in that. That was a controversial thing for a while, and it might still be, but we have papers out there that are kind of explaining that. So again, it gets into that it's a fuel source, uh, so it's not all bad if it's going to be used as a fuel source. Yeah, and then we're just talking about lactate versus lactic acid differentiation there. Another thing about blood lactate, and I think I've mentioned this before when we were in the threshold episode, was when we measure blood lactate, you have to remember that we're trying to determine what's going on at the level of the muscle. And that means that blood lactate is really kind of a shadow of what is happening within the muscle. And this gets into this idea of flux with blood lactate. And might sound a little bit nerdy, but this is a little bit of physiology that people should be thinking about when it comes to this test. And that there's going to be this flux at the cellular level for lactate, which means that, you know, you could have an increase in lactate production when your work rate goes up because you're burning more glucose or you're breaking down more glucose. Um, and that flux would be changing by how much of that lactate is being uptaked into the mitochondria um but the other the other place of flux that you have to consider is so we're trying to we're trying to measure this concentration that's occurring within the muscle but there's also the a flux with lactate that happens within the system and that happens when lactate leaves the muscle cell or any cell really and lactate can be uptaken in many different places within the body. Different cells, different organs will bring lactate in. So you have this change in flux there. So if you're measuring blood lactate accumulation and you have two areas that are fluctuating. Well, there's, there's then, a third as well because now one that's coming in a bit more is sweat analysis of lactate. So you can just wear a patch and can have continuous monitoring of lactate through the sweat, but that's going to be a third degree because from the blood to the, yeah, the sweat yeah. excretions is another level of I, flux. 
Yeah, I don't know if I, I think that would be a source of. I don't want to say error because it's not error, error, <laughs> because flux is an in and an out, right? Yep. And, and I was going to bring up this, so so it's good that you brought it up. This idea of when you sweat and there's this change in interstitial fluid that's moving in and out of the blood. And if you start exercising for a while and you sweat for a while and you get dehydrated, then the, that means that the concentration of lactate would increase because you've basically lost liquids, right? Um, but I don't know if that would be necessarily considered flux although it would affect the concentration yeah. you're completely right that it would affect the it would affect the concentration yeah. but when i think of flux is it's coming in and it's going out yeah right? it's not it's not it's not coming yeah it's never coming in from the sweat or being reabsorbed from the sweat yeah yeah for sure so it's a lot of nerdy stuff but like again i want to get into how complicated this is so people kind of understand where the many kind of iffy, wonky things that can be happening in this test are. Hey, it's Damien, and I want to talk about something I love about cycling, and that is performance is not just based on physical ability. It requires intelligence, anticipation, and the ability to see what others can't. That's why this episode sponsor, the Karoo 2, is such a fascinating device because it has the ability to see upcoming hills and the anticipated effort required. The Karoo 2 is a standalone Android bike computer. It feels solid in your hands and you can see your data clearly with the high-res, full-color, smartphone-like screen. And that screen is really useful when it comes to displaying some of the cool features Hammerhead has developed, like the Climber feature that lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. This climate feature was used at this year's Tour de France by riders like Israel Startup Nation's Michael Woods. And this is where the feature is interesting for performance nerds like us. A guy like Mike can take the climate and say, okay, I know my sweet spot is, let's say, 4 to 12 minutes at anything above 12%. And if it's not a headwind, that's a perfect opportunity for Mike. So he actually looks for those opportunities live within a race. Think about how you could also use this feature to find your sweet spot on climbs and have the confidence that when you attack your riding buddies or in a race, you're doing it at the best possible time to get an edge on your competition. For a limited time, podcast listeners can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code SEMIPRO at checkout to get yours today. That's a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. When you go to hammerhead.io and use the promo code SEMIPRO only for a limited time, don't forget to use our special promo code because it supports our show. That's hammerhead.io promo code SEMIPRO and get your Karu 2 and a free heart rate monitor today. So why do we test? Why do we, we have had this question multiple times. Us. Why do we currently blood lactate test cyclists? you guys have any thoughts? But before, before we sort of go into that, do you have any idea of the history? Like you were saying in the, the broader sort of sports science world that it became a thing very early on. And then exercise physiologists took that 
And then why did they start testing? You know, when, when were the first tests? 70s, 80s, something like that? I don't know. I would imagine maybe the 1920s, I think. Yes. Like, uh, off the top of my head. It would be interesting to know how far back it went in the actual sport itself to get an idea of mm-hmm. whether people would just, that's why it is so ingrained in the culture. Yeah. I think I want to say it's in the 1920s, but don't quote me on that. I, um, but what's funny is a lot of these papers that have come out to, that have debunked a lot of the stuff has been out since the 80s and 90s. So decades now, right? It's still in the culture and it's kind of this, well, when will it leave? Will it ever leave? Um, and, you know, Cyrus, you're, you're a generation behind it. So it's interesting to hear that it is potentially getting pushed out now. But the, but the, the your original question, the main reasons why people would do it, they're looking for this movement, this change, mm-hmm. these thresholds to actually move. And they're looking mm-hmm. at, those, at those measures. That That's the main thing I see it. And then outside of that systems attached to it complete uh zones training zones and things Mm -hmm. linked to Mm -hmm. this as well and also i think uh it's just a a like although it's not it's not the easiest test by far but it is a relatively easy way to measure something that's occurring within the body so power is obviously an external measure uh heart rate is an internal measure and that's one that's obviously been used for a long time as well but aside from heart Mm -hmm. rate i'd say this is probably the the next easiest I can think of off the top of my head for something that's within the body that you can measure and get some data on what's what's going on inside the athlete rather than just the external measures of power or speed or or something like that. Yeah, I mean, unless you want to do like a core temp pill yeah, or yeah. something like core that. Core temp would be another one, yeah. And skin temp would be easier too. Yeah. But still, yeah, I understand. And those, those are not going to relate as directly to metabolism, yeah. you know, as lactate would. So obviously I don't want to throw the listeners off too much there, but one thing that is important to, and those are all really good reasons. And those are all reasons that I had written down. But one thing to wanted to say was that is important to make this distinction between blood lactate testing that happens for the purpose of training, which we're talking about here and blood lactate testing that is happening for the purposes of research. Cause those are going to both be done. And you shouldn't necessarily to look at, Hey, they're doing this in the scientific, you know, labs and they're doing this in the exercise phys labs for their research. Therefore it should be valid for training. Um, it's valid in the sense that it met potentially measures what it says it measures. Like we talked in the testing episode, but at the same time, uh, just because they do it in research doesn't mean it's necessarily a great idea to do with your athletes or for the purposes of monitoring training. It's not exactly true. So, um, and one of the other things here, again, with the training zones is getting back to exercise domains. So you can measure lactate threshold one, lactate threshold two. Another reason I have put down here is culture. We've talked about that. And, uh, but specifically for cycling, you know, cyclists are there uh, how do i say it? we we are uh gluttons for punishment we are a little bit masochistic would you, would you agree <laughs> cyrus uh yeah def- definitely and so this pain equals good things at the end of a r- ride in the race interval training 
we just have associated, learned to associate. So let's prick pain. our ears and fingers. Yeah. Just yeah. To yeah. So let's prick our ears and fingers, get more pain. This is going to be better for me because it gets into the body and it hurts to do. But it's funny. Not a, not a solid argument, but it's one of those things that makes you go, hmm. That's, that's a really interesting point because one of the big draw cards I know athletes in particular have for lactate testing and especially to, uh, to work out what the lactate threshold one is, is it is submaximal. So it's less pain in an exercise sense in that you, in theory, can establish these thresholds, aerobic and anaerobic, or I'm sure we'll touch on on why these why this might not be that actually valuable for establishing these or why they might not be called that. But regardless, the tests for these aren't maximal tests in the same way that a 20-minute test is a maximal test. Uh, you're, you're cycling at a sustainable intensity and just monitoring the, the lactate values and changes as the intensity changes. But I know for athletes that have undertaken this kind of testing, they like it because you can have it during an endurance block and it's not this maximal effort in their, their training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess you file that under an advantage for the test, yeah. which we'll get into some of the advantages of doing the test. And one more thing to add to the culture bit is, again, it's science-y. Right? It's, it looks science-y. It's well-established within the science. So. Yeah, it certainly looks good at um, World Tour and team photos yeah, at their yeah, camps yeah. and things. Oh, yeah. On the side of the oh, road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like For me, knowing what I know about lactate testing and physiology and i'm like what are we doing here (laughs) that's always my thought i'm like like, uh all right well is this just for the photo shoot or do you really think this is going to be i mean it's to the point where it's so you get so sometimes you get to the point where it's so ecologically valid it's invalid (laughs) i don't know if that makes any sense but like uh um and one thing, and the last thing I have, and this maybe sounds a little bit cynical, but yeah, it's a money maker. So again, you have a brick and mortar cycling coaching business. It's one thing to kind of tack on with your services, and it makes you some money. And the investment for those portable lactate analyzers is going to be lo- much less expensive than something like a metabolic cart. Which brings me to the question of: Would blood lactate testing be as prevalent? among amateur cyclists if metabolic carts cost the same as blood lactate analyzers because it's just much easier to get um to get hooked up to a metabolic cart and just go through everything on there and someone would figure out bt1 and bt2 for you instead of lt1 and lt2 i don't know if, um but yeah just the thought just to kind of keep in the back of your head while we're going through this Anyways, moving on. Types of lactate thresholds. We talked about that in the thresholds episode, so I'll just have a little bit of a refresher here. Um, If people want to get a little bit more in depth into the types of thresholds and what they mean, definitely check out that episode because I thought it was a pretty good rundown on all of the thresholds. But I think we mentioned before this maximal lactate steady state is the kind of gold standard within the scientific community. 
kind of, at least it was, or it has been considered that. And that maximal lactate steady state is defined as the highest blood lactate concentration uh, and workload that can be maintained over time without a continual blood lactate accumulation. So basically, if you want to get really specific, it's the highest power output at which blood lactate does not increase from 15 to 30 minutes. And this one, we kind of, there's many, many different types of lactate thresholds that can be measured. There are many ways to determine it. And this has been determined as the best way. And so if we're going to pick on them for accuracy, then this is the one. We want to go... And be skeptical of the one that has the highest bar so that we give it. But this this is the, the, yeah. the place where it becomes more about sort of an art form than a science mm-hmm. or an experience uh, reader has to know what they're looking for rather than just an, a number easily just spat out and there it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is where it's well, a bit tricky. The other thing is, is that this one, the, this one happens, I mean, there's different variations of it, but the... the old school ways to do it over multiple days. And we've talked about this in the testing protocol or the testing episode where we were saying, you know, one day of testing is enough. Like imagine like having to be doing it over multiple days to get this one number. It just, that seems like a bit too much. So the best gold standard is for the most part takes multiple days. So if we are going into these single day ones, which is what most, I think most people are going to be offered um, in terms of a service, then it's going to be one of these lower level ones that potentially aren't as accurate. So, you know, when we get into these fixed blood lactate level tests with the graded exercise and there's the DMAX method, the DMAX modified method, the individual anaerobic threshold, um, each one of these, uh, I think the, the take-home for this, we're not going to get into all of the validity of them, um, but the take-home is is that each one of those is going to have a different level of validity and usefulness. And so if you – so not all blood lactate tests are the same. It's basically the Or at least knowing and, which one you're getting, which one you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that yeah. is even advertised. It's kind of like this is a test, yeah. lactate test, mm-hmm. and not even knowing what it is. So you could even just do some research on the validity of it yourself. Yeah, and you're going to want to make sure that if you're traveling around and getting blood lactate tests at different places, that they're doing it the same way. Um, because, again, you, you there's a we'll get into this, but there's a lot of places in this test where error can be introduced. Yeah, so those are just a few of the blood lactate testing types. And then so from there, let's talk about blood lactate testing methods. And the methods that we're going to talk about here are the ones that are generally, like this is the general format for determining lactate thresholds. You could also potentially test blood lactate after other forms of exercise. I did it. In my master's, I did it after we did three consecutive Wingate tests. So you don't necessarily need to do it after a graded exercise test, like we're going to explain it here. And then like the, we we're just talking about with those photos, people doing it at the top of a mountain and things like that. And so you can blood lactate test technically an athlete anywhere you have a blood lactate analyzer. And 
a way to access their blood. But most people are going to do this in a lab to determine threshold because without multiple data points in a controlled manner that like a graded exercise test is, you're just... Why are you doing it on the side of a mountain? Why are you doing it on the side of a mountain? I don't know. <laughs> because the thing is, that's... Do you get somebody to do an effort, like a thresh, like what they sh- should sit at a threshold or something, and then you're measuring it, and then yeah, trying to get a I mean, number that correlates without, with the effort or something? Without, yeah, yeah. Those, that could be a potential way. Cause, but without that added context, I can only guess. Right, because if the maybe if the athlete rode to the top of the mountain with a um, steady wattage, then okay, then we can look at maybe lactate at that point to get an idea of what their lactate is compared to what they were seeing in the lab. But that gets into riding to the bottom of the mountain looking for the um, aerobic threshold, maybe something like that. Yeah, but the other the other way you could climb the mountain is going as hard as you could, and, and just seeing what happens. Tested there, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a couple things that they could be measuring. But if you go as hard as you can, you're adding a lot of variability into the test. But if you have a power meter on the bike, okay. <laughs> the only way it seems would be like the old school way of having a, a mountain that you climb as a test, and mm-hmm. some way you're doing some repeatability of the process. Um, mm-hmm. but even then it's wonky seems wonky yeah i i mean i i can think of a few people i've seen testing like this both americans <laughs> i think um but yeah so maybe that's part of <laughs> the reason uh but i don't know so anyways the, the methods for this for the most part is we use an incremental exercise protocol or graded exercise test this is usually increased a few watts over time. The length of these steps can be three to 10 minutes. What you're looking for is reaching an aerobic steady state, uh, which is going to be, you have to do it for at least three minutes for the most part. And then then you can do it in in a discontinuous or continuous protocol. So some people might like to stop the exercise. And so you can wipe off the sweat and all that kind of stuff. Some people and just have the rider relax for a second so it's easier to access the blood. Other people are skilled enough where they can do a continuous great exercise test and access the blood through maybe the earlobe or a catheter or something like that. And it makes it a little bit easier to get to the blood in that point. And then as, you, as we discussed, you, you take the blood sample from the ear, the finger, catheter, syringe, um, you can do a muscle biopsy, but then it's not a blood lactate test anymore. And I don't know why anyone would do a blood muscle biopsy for training purposes. For so any purpose. It's kind of too painful. <laughs> While you're actually <laughs> but, doing a test afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is for research, right? You're not going to. That's a, that's a big needle. Yeah. To get stuck well, with. Uh, <laughs> bigger than the Pfizer needle, that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> for sure the, the the blood is analyzed in a blood lactate analyzer this is for most people most situations are going to be those portable handheld devices but old school and maybe fancy labs are going to have kind of this 
big bench top analyzer for blood lactates. Then you would take these data points, these concentrations, and you would plot them versus the power output that was held at each one of the steps. And then, so now you have this graph. And then from that graph with those points, then you extrapolate LT1 and LT2, which gets kind of difficult because you what you have is you don't have a straight line with these points. And Cyrus has probably seen this before. You have this kind of curve that you're, tr- you're trying to figure out a curve off of maybe 15 data points at the most. That's a lot of data points. Um, it's actually a lot of data points that you would get out of this test, but it's not a lot of data points to get a curve yeah. to figure out a curve. And you're trying to basically find some flat points on the curve, which indicate the thresholds, but they don't tend to be as flat as you would like them to be as well, especially mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. and very... Then, yep a very sort of staggered curve that you get from only having a certain number of data points. Yeah. So if you imagine fitting a, if you have an Excel program and you put in a best fit line, right? If it's a best fit line, then that's pretty easy. You can have like one data point off. You just draw the line straight through it. Right. But on this, you have one data point off and you're trying to figure out a curve it gets much more difficult to determine where those inflection points are. Yeah. So you're right. So, and then this gets into, there's multiple different ways of determining these inflection points. So you'd want to know which one is being used um, for your own reference, if you plan on doing this. So yeah, then you, once you get those points, you hopefully can figure out your LT1 and LT2, which is one of the advantages of the test is that you get, one test and you potentially get two measures of thresholds, which is a little bit, that's, I'll give it that. Um, so some important notes that that go along with this, we've kind of discussed them as we go along here, but the, there's definitely some things to keep in mind. Um, so your, your number of steps, the length of the steps, the increase in, in the step is all important. Uh, then again, the continuous versus discontinuous graded exercise protocol, that's going to be important to consider and to keep the same between, because if you're going to do a test, you're going to have to do it again. And it's some, and it's, you're going to want it to be the exact same conditions and protocols between the two, right? So, um, something else to consider is that blood draw time. So where in the step are you testing it and how long does it take you to get the blood and then take the blood into the analyzer and that comes down like you said damien a lot of that comes down to how well the tester actually knows what they're doing and you could have something where you're the first person that this tester ever ever did a test on you get your blood lactate you come back and they're just quicker at doing the test and you have to assume that a very that variability into it, not only did your fitness change, but the tester just got better if you're going back to the same person. Yeah, and even, well, even things like your hydration level and how much you're bleeding can affect how long these processes take as well. Like I've gone into mm-hmm. a test uh, dehydrated and they just, they took forever to squeeze blood out mm-hmm. of my ear. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's exactly. all these small things as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um the other one here is, yeah, the like you said, the blood draw method in place is going to be important. Is 
I think a lot of people like the earlobe because it doesn't get as sweaty. It's more accessible for the tester. But if you use fingers in that, um, there's, there's a lot of sweat on a bike. And any of those drops of sweat, that's going to change the concentration. Sweat in, in the blood will decrease the concentration of the lactate in the blood. And it's going to make it look like you're fitter than you really are, <laughs> at least for that step. Yeah, that was a massive issue we had when we were doing ours. We were doing wind gate tests, so the rider was stationary after the 30-second sprints, but still just a heap of sweat there. And the um, mm-hmm. yeah, the group member that was collecting the samples, just like still using an alcohol swab to um, get rid of the sweat, but just, yeah, then... We were just getting some pretty crazy data points there that didn't add up. So I think that's another sort of reason you have to, if you're going to be doing this, have someone that knows what they're looking at, analyzing the data after you've collected it for that reason so that they can determine whether the, the points are actually plausible, whether the data's data's actually valid. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to consider the blood lactate uh, analyzer accuracy. Yeah. And so those portable ones are notoriously not great. Yeah. Maybe they've gotten better now. Um, I know when I was doing my master's, we used two blood lactate analyzers, two of those portable ones on the same sample because sometimes they just wouldn't read and you just wanted to have that second one kind of backing it up. But those testing strips are not cheap. No, no, not at all. So if you decide as a coach is doing this and you're like, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'll be able to increase my accuracy by increasing the number of strips and getting two of these analyzers, well, that's going to be added cost that you have to put in for this. So yeah, something to consider. Like I said, those strips, not cheap at all. Right. So we talked about, you have to consider the extrapolation method and the accuracy of the data points. And so I'm trying to keep these unique to blood lactate testing only because i mean to be fair every single test is going to have a place where error can be error can be uh i'm going is it the rule of threes on the error joke yet (laughs) no every time you say i still get confused so i'm glad you say it twice (laughs) my brain hasn't switched yet all right fair enough um yeah so these these are unique to, for the most part, uh, except for the graded exercise protocol, you could make that argument about, about VO2max testing, but most of these things are going to be unique. These are places where air can be introduced that are only going to be found in blood lactate testing. Um, but w- outside of that, we always talk about environmental considerations for some, for some reason, but how often when you see this test done in, in a lab for training purposes, you know, on a cycling gym or something like that, how often do you see the a fan on the athlete, right? Or how stringent do you think those room temperatures or controls are going to be? Because those are going to have an effect on, on these concentrations, obviously. But there's a really good paper that we've actually brought up a couple times here, written by uh, Andrew Jones, and discussed critical power as this the new gold standard for maximal metabolic steady state. And in his paper, he takes, he has a good uh, takedown of maximal lactate steady state. And in there, he cited another paper. The 
combined error for biological variation and analytical error that could come out of this test as in a submaximal exercise, 11 to 52%. Hmm. That's high. <laughs> it's very high. And here's another thing that in the methods here that is when you do a great exercise test to determine your threshold for heart rate, let's say you wanted to do a great exercise test to determine your heart rate threshold, which you could do, right? At least when you get on the bike, you can read the heart rate and see live heart rate and be like, this is my threshold heart rate and I'm at it. With a blood lactate test, you are now measuring that lactate and you are corresponding it with either heart rate or power so that you can get the real-time reading, right? Because we don't have real-time blood lactate uh, measurements yet where you can see that data coming at you real-time. It's coming. So it's coming. There's a lot of people working on it right now, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not quite here yet and it's certainly not accessible to the general public. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure this uh, this podcast is really going to help up their sales. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I would be Get interested. Get them as a sponsor. I would, I'd be interested. <laughs> I wouldn't be testing, yeah. but I'd be interested. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can get them as sponsors for the podcast. <laughs> sponsor, sponsor this episode. <laughs> yeah, just don't listen to episode <laughs> seventeen. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyways. The thing you have to consider with this now is because you are trying to connect blood lactate with either a power or a heart rate that you can read on your bike, it would be incorrect to assume that those things are always going to be coupled together, those two values, the value that your lactate was at threshold and the value that your power was at when your lactate was at threshold, it would be incorrect to think that those things are always going to be coupled together those are going to decouple for many reasons they would decouple over time they would decouple with because of environmental factors they would decouple because of adrenaline and things like that so even if you had this awesome perfect blood lactate test that determined your threshold as accurately as feasible uh, as accurate as uh, perfect, right? For the thought experiment, let's just go with perfect. Th this is still going to be inaccurate when you potentially, once you ride for a little bit, because everything is going to be different. Uh, so from there, now that we've punched this thing <laughs> into the ground for a little bit. Okay, let's just wrap that up here then. Uh, yep. Thank you guys for contributing thank you jason for writing what you've done so far let's have a revisit in the next episode and if you listening want to get involved and know when we release episodes or know when the when our weekly call is scheduled then follow along on our twitter or instagram accounts on twitter we're at cycling club pod and on instagram we're at cycling performance club but until next time take care see you guys
good? I'm good too. Uh, yep. Yeah? Yeah, I'm sweet. Jason? Uh, one last thing. Are we going to potentially, are we, we going to mention that story where, with me and um, Cyrus finding out that uh, we raced yeah. against each other? Yeah, that's a good little tidbit. You yeah. think people are interested uh, and they want to listen to that? Well, if it sucks and we just edit it out, or if, or if this one's too long, we can always edit it out and put it in another one. <laughs> this is a funny story, though. For you guys. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.